If you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word all the way back to Numbers, Numbers, we are going to be in chapter 24. Numbers 24. Numbers is right before Deuteronomy, one of the first five books of the Bible. Numbers 24, we're going to start in verse 10 today. Numbers 24, starting in verse 10. We read, Then Balak became furious with Balaam, struck his hands together, and said to him, I summoned you to put a curse on my enemies, but instead you have blessed them these three times. Now, go to your home. I said I would reward you richly, but look, the Lord has denied you a reward. Balaam answered Balak, Didn't I previously tell the messengers you sent me? If Balak were were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the Lord's command to do anything good or bad on my own will. I will say whatever the Lord says. Now I'm going back to my people. But first, let me warn you what these people will do to your people in the future. Then he proclaimed his poem, The Oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of a man whose eyes are open. The oracle of one who hears the sayings of God and has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls into a trance with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. He will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down all of the Shethites. Edom will be a possession for Seir, will become a possession of his enemies, but Israel will be triumphant. One who comes from Jacob will rule. He will destroy the city's survivors. Then Balaam saw Elimelech, and proclaimed his poem, Elimelech, the first of among nations, but his future will be destruction. Next he saw the Kenites and proclaimed this poem. Your dwelling is a place, your dwelling place is enduring, your nest is set in the cliffs. Cain will be destroyed when Ashur takes you captive. Once more he proclaimed his poem, Ah, who can live when God does this? Ships will come from the coast of Kittim, They will carry out raids against Asher and Eber, but they too will come to destruction. Balaam then arose and went back to his homeland, and Balak went his way. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would write its truth on our hearts today. Help us to understand your plan. Help us to understand this vision that you gave Balaam thousands of years ago. God, help me guard my mouth, guard these people's ears. May your truth reign in hearts today. 
We pray in Christ's name, amen. Now this is the time of year when I feel like I have to turn into a counterintelligence specialist in my home. That is, if I'm to surprise my wife with a Christmas present. I live with a woman who is very observant, and I've often joked that she's almost like living with a CIA specialist, right? Like when we first got married, I thought that I had this gift that was really good, and she would never guess what it is, and she picked up the box and said, ah, it's an iPod. I learned that she and her dad used to try and guess their presents, and they would joke with one another about, I know what you have for Christmas, and this was a thing in her family that I had never encountered before. And, and, and you add with the fact that she is our number cruncher, she's our math expert, and I regularly hear, what did you spend $3.99 at Amazon for? So she knows what's going on. All of this means that this time of year, I really have to hone my skills and I have to know that they will likely, who she's passes down to her kids, all of them will likely get a glimpse of what is coming, but not the full picture. In today's passage, we see a people who get a glimpse of the ultimate gift that would one day come, but they don't have the full picture. A future star from the line of Jacob, but they don't really know what that means yet. As we talked about with the kids, now today we start Advent. Advent means coming. It is the time when we set aside to think about the coming of Christ. Now some churches don't celebrate Advent. Likely you've been in a church that didn't. That doesn't mean they're bad or they're wrong. Some churches, they just keep going through books of the Bible or they just keep doing what they're doing. But here we like to stop and think about the coming of Christ and who Christ is because it is helpful and healthy for a Christian. And this year we're going to highlight the light theme that we see in the Bible. You know, in Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and light appeared. When God made a covenant with Abraham, God appeared in a pot of fire that passed through the animals that had been slaughtered. When Moses is called by God, he's called by what? God uses a burning bush. Paul writes to Timothy that God lives in an unapproachable light. When Christ is transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, he is radiant. In Isaiah, we read that the people have lived in darkness, that the, the passage that Judah read this morning, but that light has dawned. In Luke's gospel, we read that because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us. God's light will break into human history in the form of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, in Luke chapter 2. As the hymn writer wrote, Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light. Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. And so this season, I have titled the Advent Sermon Series, thinking of this line from, from Silent Night, the dawn of redeeming grace, when God would break into human history in the person of Jesus Christ, and this grace would dawn upon the world. Now, thinking back to our, our, our folks in Numbers, remember this is the time of Moses. Moses is leading the people of Israel. 
And they don't have a full understanding of what is happening yet. Now, they've left Egypt. God has told them, you are my people. They have this promise from, that God made to Abraham, but they don't have the full picture yet. After the fall of man, we see in the Bible that the first sin is committed, right? So in Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between the snake and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And the woman will bruise the, your descendant's heel, or you will bruise the, the, the woman's descendant's heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. And we see in this Genesis 3.15, this passage I just butchered to explain, but what we see in there is the first promise of Christ, that God is going to set all things right. And here in our passage, Israel is freed from bondage. And they're headed to this land God has promised to give them. They've just wrapped up a one-year stay at Mount Sinai where God has given them the law, right? They've, they've got their Ten Commandments. God's presence was the center of the camp. God's people were called to purity. He has made a covenant with them. They are called to be faithful to the covenant. And God is always faithful to His promises. So they know all right, the, the Creator of the universe is our God and we are His people. But they don't know about Jesus Christ yet. At this part of the narrative, they're camped in the plains of Moab. And the king of Moab has denied safe passage to them. And they're tracked to the promised land. He has denied them safe passage. But more than that, he also hires this guy named Balaam. He's kind of a witch doctor, kind of a sorcerer. And he hires this guy to put curses on God's people. He's a kind of pagan prophet, ancient medicine man, like a, a witch guy. And so he goes and hires this guy. But when he king brings him to the camp where he can see Israel encamped and tells him, all right, curse them. Curse these people that want to come through my land. He opens his mouth and blessings come out instead. And the king's angry. He says, I paid you to curse all these people and you keep blessing them. There's three of them prior to today's passage. And Balaam says, I can only say, we read it this morning, I can only say what the Lord gives me to say. And then we get this final vision that we're going to think about today. We've had these three blessings, now we get to this final one. And God gives this pagan priest, right? Like he's not a, a, an Israelite, he's not a man of God, he's a, he's a witch doctor, if you will, a sorcerer. He gives this pagan priest a vision about the Israelite king, this coming king, this star of Jacob. And through Balaam, God gives his people a glimpse of the coming star, and we're going to see four things. We're going to see a star will come in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob's line. A star will triumph over evil. And a star will rule with authority. But before we get into this outline, before we start thinking about this star, I want us to notice something about Balaam's prophecy. Look with me at verses 15 and 16. He says, Then he proclaimed this poem, his poem, the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of a man whose eyes are opened so he can see. He sees what the Lord has him to say. The oracle of the one who hears the sayings of God and has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls into a trance with his eyes uncovered. 
it's kind of a strange, I'm going to say strange, it's just a striking thing to notice here. We have three names of God, right? We see he gets knowledge from God, the Most High, the Almighty. Here we have a pagan priest who is going to tell of the Messianic King. His eyes are opened. His eyes are uncovered. He sees clearly what God is giving to him. God uses this pagan to speak truth. And we know all of Scripture is breathed out by God, even when God uses a witch doctor to do it. It's an interesting passage. But what we see is that his eyes are wide open. He sees what God has and that we can trust it. This passage should give us more confidence in the inerrancy of Scripture because God can speak even through a pagan witch doctor. And it is true. And the first thing God says through Balaam is that a star will come in the distant future. Look with me at verse 17, just at the very beginning. The first sentence, he says, I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. So this star will rise, but it's not going to rise today, Balaam says. It's coming in the future. Balaam sees this future deliverer, but it is not yet his time. It's, it's down the road in human history, the latter days, the final days. Now, some will say that this is partially fulfilled by King David. David is going to partially fulfill part of this. However, long after David has lived and died, and long before Christ comes, Judaism believed that this text was a prophecy of the coming Messiah. They, they would read this and look for this coming chosen one. Messiah also means the Christ. So the Greek Christus is the, is the Greek version of this word Messiah. So we know from the Gospels that Israel's looking for a Messiah, but who is this Messiah? What is the Messiah? The word Messiah comes from anointed one, or the one smeared with oil. It is the chosen one. It is the appointed one, appointed by God. One anointed and appointed by God the Father to rule. Now in Jesus' day, we know that they're looking for this earthly warrior king. That is who they're looking for in the Christ. Someone who's going to drive off all of Israel's physical enemies. And as we read this passage, you can kind of see why they would think that. But what they did not expect was God in the flesh. What they did not expect was an eschatological king who would rule forever and who would suffer and die for his people. David Wallace says that in Jesus, we have fused together three Old Testament themes, the one of Messiah, the one of the suffering servant, and the one of the Son of Man. All three of these fused into one person and that of Jesus Christ because the early church, friends, the early church did not hesitate to say that Jesus of Nazareth, He is the Messiah. He is the one that this passage speaks of. He is the greater Son of David. He is that Davidic king that later on Israel would hear about. The one who will rule forever. But here Balaam says, I see him, but he's not near. I perceive him, but, but not now. He is coming in the later days, and we know that when Christ comes in Mark 1, we see 
He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. When he says that, he's saying now. Now is the time. The Christ is here. The end times are inaugurated. Now is the end times. 2,000 years ago, Christ instituted the end times. And since the time of Christ, the Bible claims that we are in the end times, that the star of Jacob rose at the appointed time, in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ is the one true Messiah, the full fulfillment of this distant star, this bright light. And second thing we see is that the star will rise from Jacob's line. Look with me at the second part of verse 17. I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will rise from Jacob. From Jacob. We remember Jacob from our Genesis stories, right? And this star that burns bright is going to be a physical descendant of Jacob. At the time of Balaam's vision, we have not yet seen God's promise to David, the one that we saw reaffirmed in Amos last week, right? Like, if we think about what Israel had, they didn't have that story yet. But here, Israel gets a taste of the Davidic covenant because they know that through Abraham, the whole world will be blessed. And now they see that a star will rise from Jacob, this conquering star, this ruling star. And in a few generations, they would learn that David would learn that from his line would come an eternal king. A star would rise from the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A star that would deliver his people. A star that would defeat the enemies of God. And as a note, we also know that it's not just the physical descendants of Abraham that would be blessed. But through Abraham, the world would be blessed and that the Gentiles would later be grafted in to God's people. We saw that in, in last week in Amos, that the Gentiles would become a part of God's elect. And Jesus states that people will come from all around, all these other nations, to eat at Abraham's table because of this coming star, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Father's promise. Just think about the words here in Revelation 22, friends. Just think about these words we read where Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Here we have Jesus saying, I am that descendant that David was told about. I am the bright and morning star. This star will come from Jacob and it is a triumphant star, a star that will triumph over evil. Look with me at the, the last part of 17 there. A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. He will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down all of the Shethites. Edom will become a possession. Sierra will become a possession of its enemies, but Israel will be triumphant. Friends, this star is also a rising scepter. 
The scepter is an ornamental staff used by rulers during special occasions to symbolize what? To symbolize their sovereignty, that they are in charge. And this scepter is a symbol of the king's total dominion. It's his royal insignia, and the coming Messiah is in complete control of his realm. This star will deliver God's people from their enemies. This rising scepter will crush the enemies. The star will smash foreheads. He will strike down. Ronald Allen states that in latter days, Edom and Sierra became to stand for any enemies of God. Any enemies. These are like euphemisms, he claims, for any enemies of God. And he states that in these terms, all people who stands in opposition to God and his work, they're going to go down. They will be crushed. Anyone who stands in opposition to the Messiah and his kingdom will be destroyed. You know, sometimes because of soft preaching and and pandering to people's emotions and, and, and Christmas movies and you know any number of things, liberal theology, whatever you want to throw in there, we get the idea that Jesus is merely this, this soft man. And he's, he's just pleading with us. Won't you let me come in? And we forget that when we read the Scriptures, Christ is a victorious warrior. Maybe not like the one Israel expected, but totally and perfectly according to the will of his Father. He will crush all of his enemies. This is not merely, friends, this is not merely a cute little baby in a manger. This is the God-man Jesus. This is the warrior king. The one who will bring down the rod on the forehead of anyone who opposes his kingdom. 2,000 years ago, Christ broke the back of sin and death on the cross. In his first advent, he defeated what some have called the greater Goliath. Satan. In the second advent, he will return mounted and triumphant, his robe dipped in blood. One day he will finally, triumphantly return and vanquish all evil. Anyone who stands in opposition to his divine rule will be broken. Owen Strand writes it this way, All hail King Jesus, the warrior savior, the alpha protector, the greater David. <coughs> The only one willing to face down the greater Goliath sent by his father as the perfect appointed sacrifice to cleanse and rescue a chosen race. He brought us back from the dead by his own blood. And this warrior Messiah, he will rule creation and rule with a scepter. The fourth thing we see is that he will rule with all authority. Look with me at verse 19. One who comes from Jacob will rule. He will destroy the city survivors. Friends, He is not just our deliverer. He is also our King. You know, this morning, was, we were in the uh, kids' equipping hour, and Micah uh, uh, Burke is, is leading that, and I'm the assistant, and it's a lot of fun. Both of us, I think, had fun watching the kids. And one of the stories that we, we read was the story of when David and his warrior group, before he's king, they're riding around, and um, they're, they're, they're going to war, and someone comes and takes their wives and kids. 
right? And you know the story. They have to go to this raiding party and they destroy them all and get the wives and kids back. Well, Christ is the greater example in that, in that He has brought us back. He has saved us from ourselves. He has saved us from sin. He has saved us from evil. But He didn't just do that and walk away. He is also our King. He is not just our Deliverer. He is our King. He is the Star Scepter, the Christ, the one who will defeat His enemies and is sovereign over all. Allen says that the theme of this oracle is sustained. Israel's ultimate blessing centers in her deliverer, the one who vanquishes enemies and the one who rules. This star from Jacob will rule, rule with the scepter, with all authority. As the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of over human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It is his. The star will rule. Christ is sovereign. It is an everlasting dominion. He has defeated his enemies. He has crushed foreheads, and he rules all creation. Triumph for his chosen people. You know, when you watch the movie Narnia, there's a line in there which uncovers us all sometimes. When we forget that Christ is the one who rules and that Christ is the one who won our salvation, when, when Peter is, and Prince Caspian, Peter is, it, it forgets, it seems, and Lucy asks her this, have you forgotten who really defeated the white witch, Peter? Because it wasn't Peter, right? It was Aslan. Friends, we are called to be faithful to the one who will triumph, not to take his place. We are called to faithfully fight, but by His rules of engagements, remembering that He is the one who will win the war. He is the warrior king. In His time, by His plan, according to His will. And we, friends, are called to submit to His authority. Because it is Jesus who defeated sin and death. It is this Jesus who gained triumph for his bride by paying for her sin debt. It is Jesus who rose from the grave and sits bodily at the Father's right hand. And Jesus will return to gather his bride and judge the world. He is the fulfillment of this prophecy. The one who will rule. Just look with me back at this text, just at 17 through 19. And I'm going to substitute in Jesus' name in places. Just read with me here. I see Jesus Christ, but not now. I perceive Christ, but not near. A star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. Christ will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down all the Shethites. Edom will become a possession. Seir will become a possession of his enemies, but Israel will be triumphant. One who comes from Jacob will rule, and Christ will destroy the city's survivors. Friends, we are called to turn to, submit, and to trust Christ. Repent and believe in Him, because Jesus Christ is the star of Jacob. He is God in the flesh, the foreordained warrior king, our Lord. And that is what we celebrate this Christmas, way back in Numbers, way back in Genesis, when we just have... A partial picture. But as we proceed forward, the picture becomes clearer and clearer and clearer until the lights are totally thrown on and we see what God has been doing. And so as we think about this passage and we think about the Christmas season, 
how should we live? Well, I want to note here, as I kind of noted in the prayer, for some, Christmas is the best of times. But for others, it is the worst of times. And so I want to speak in light of this passage today with encouragement for three types of people this Christmas season. Encouragement for three types of people. First, maybe you feel lost this Advent season. And to you, I want to say, Christ is the light that will bring you home. Maybe you're numb, maybe you're confused. Maybe this used to be a joyful time for you, but not so much anymore. You spend most of your time now looking backwards instead of forward. We used to go to so-and-so's house at Christmas, and I really miss that. That defined Christmas for me. Maybe you had a, a, a cherished pastor, and he preached this way, and he had this sermon every Christmas, and I miss that. We sang different songs than we sing now. We had this special service that they don't do anymore. The stores did this certain thing that we liked, and it's just everything's different. Well, to you I want to say, friends, turn your eyes on Jesus, as the old song says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Let him guide your heart. Let his light guide you home. Because our hope is not in a slice of human history. Our hope is not to go back to doing things the way we used to do them, but our hope is in an eternal king. Your hope cannot be in any created thing, but it must be in the creator, Psalm 146. So this Christmas, friend, maybe for the first time in a long time, I want to encourage you in the coming weeks, turn your eyes upon Christ. Look to him. Second, maybe some of you are fearful this Advent. And to you, I want you to remember that Christ is king and he is sovereign. Maybe you watch the news and you get scared about world events. And maybe that scaredness manifests itself in anger. And you're the one that's, man, can you believe what these people are doing? And you're angry about this, and you're posting on this, and you're doing this. And can you believe this? I was talking with the elders this week about the first time I ever voted in a presidential election. I was supposed to vote in the evening, after I got off work at the hardware store, but this guy came around lunch and said, what are you doing, man? Don't you know? If you don't vote, Hillary could win. You need to go. And I said, man, I'll, I'll go now. And I went out at lunch. That guy was, seemed angry, but he was actually scared. He didn't trust in a sovereign God. Maybe you're the person who's glued to a television set to see what's going to happen in the Middle East or in Eastern Europe. Maybe you're the guy that gets mad because politicians aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Or maybe you're the one that's like, well, this next year is an election year. What's going to come next? What kind of shenanigans are going down now? And to you, I want to remind you that Christ is king and that we don't wield truth as a sword. The answer for us is to trust our king. He owns the victory. The victory belongs to him. We are called to do what he commands, but he is ultimately responsible for the results. Christ controls who's going to be president and who's going to be king. Christ controls who's going to be governor. 
Christ controls what they do when they're in office, and Christ controls the changing of the seasons. He makes kingdom to rise, and he makes kingdom to fall. It is all of Christ. There is not a single molecule, friends, if you read your Bible rightly, there is not a single molecule of this universe outside of his control. Trust in that, this Advent season. Trust in Christ and do the next thing faithfully. People will say, do the next thing. I'll say, do the next thing faithfully. Third, maybe you're sad this Advent. Remember that God had you in mind from the beginning of the world. If you are his, he chose you before the foundations of the earth. Remember that. Maybe you miss loved ones. They passed away. Maybe you've been through a messy divorce, a breakup. You've lost some of that joy you had for Christmas when you were young. Maybe, maybe work has you far away from family. Maybe you can't be with the loved ones that you want to be with this Christmas because you have to be here in Ketchikan. I want you to think about this passage here in 2 Corinthians 4 when God says, let the light shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, let the light of Christ shine into your heart this Christmas season. Those believing loved ones, you'll see them again. This life is just grass thrown into the furnace tomorrow. Maybe the reason we're sad and angry and scared and lost at Christmas has nothing to do with Christmas itself and everything to do with our hearts placed on the wrong things. Christ is good. He's in control. We can take comfort in that. In our passage, we see the people receive a very small glimpse of what is to come in this Bible. In God's plan, a star from Jacob that will triumphantly rule and will rise. And they looked forward to a time in which God would fulfill that promise. And we have the full picture of God's redemptive plan. We have it in his inerrant word. We can read it. Yet, we still look forward to the coming of the Messiah. We still look forward to that time in which he will come back for his bride as he's promised us. He will do. We look forward to the second coming of Christ, the second advent. We look forward to a time when there will truly be no more sorrow, no grief or pain. I like Christmas music. I try not to listen to it prior to Thanksgiving. But we have a McElroy Spotify Christmas list that we've been listening to. And one of the songs that's on there, we have mostly, it's primarily Christian Christmas songs, but we have a few seculars. we got some singing chipmunks in there and stuff. And one of the songs we have in there is one of my favorite ones, because I think it has the best bass line of any Christmas song ever, and it's the Eagles' Please Come Home for Christmas, right? You guys know that song. It's got this sweet bass line. We're listening to it Thanksgiving night, right? But I disagree with one of the claims. Because what we need is not our baby to come home for Christmas. Not that I want my baby to be away from me at Christmas, but that will not remove all of our sorrow, grief, and pain, as they claim in the song. Because we know from Revelation 
that in the second advent, when Christ returns, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, from our eyes. Death will no longer exist, and grief, crying, and pain will no longer exist because all previous things have passed away. Friends, this Christmas, I encourage you, do not replace Christ with sweethearts. Do not replace Christ with stuff. Right, that iPod that you wanted 15 years ago and is now obsolete? Don't replace Christ with that. And don't replace Christ with a politician who's going to die and his plans are going to go to the grave with him, Psalm 146. Don't replace Christ with a platform, friends. Allow Christ, the, the light of the world, to be the only focus of your heart this season, the one who can truly remove all sorrow, grief, and pain. And with that, all I have left to say is, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father, as we look again into this Advent season, as we look again to your word to, to see how you have redeemed us to yourself, God, I pray that our heart's desire and our focus would be Jesus. God, remove any bitterness or, 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 or anger from our hearts. God, remove fear from our hearts and sadness as we focus on the face, the radiant face of Christ. Make us to remember Him who for our sake became poor. The one that for our sake stooped to become man. Eternally God, yet He took on flesh. All for our sake became lowly. Father, may we focus on Him, the star of Jacob. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.